In our last class, you remember that we had learned that God was a God who reveals. And because he reveals, we can actually know about him. Unlike ladybugs and flowers and trees where we can see and we can study, we can't see God and we can't study God without him disclosing and revealing himself to us. And you remembered from our last class that he revealed to us in two unique ways. And they both start with the letter C. The first is that he reveals himself to us through creation. Through everything that he has made, it shows us a little bit about who and what God is like. And we can look at the the stars in the sky and the flowers of the fields. All of you had discussed different things that you saw in creation that would reveal to to us a little bit about who God is. The second way that God reveals himself to everyone is through conscience. And that is that God somehow instills in every single person an inside awareness of the fact that God is there and that there is right and wrong and a little bit of what is right according to God's standards. And so we had talked about last week, you had even shared with me that There are things that you know inside your heart, even if no one else tells you whether something is right and whether something is wrong. But God didn't stop with revealing himself through creation and conscience. God spoke, and he spoke words. And he started speaking words even when he created everything, when he said, let there be light. But his words now to us are recorded in his word the Bible, the Holy Scriptures. And so he's revealed and spoken details about himself that we could not ascertain or understand on our own by just looking at creation or just by listening or discerning what's in our conscience. And that includes everything that relates to who we are as sinners and who God is and how much God loves us. So God speaks to us in his special word, the Bible. And because of that, we had learned last week that there are several things we should do with the Bible. We should read the Bible, study the Bible, memorize, meditate, and apply God's word. And again, as we continue our study of God, we're not going outside to look in the world and learning about who God is. We study and learn more about God through his written word, the Bible. Well, today we're going to learn two more important things about God. First, we are going to learn the aseity of God. And second, we're going to learn the eminence of God. So first, the aseity of God. It may be a word that you're not that familiar with, but the word aseity is referring to God in that God is different from us. God does not need anything. No one created him. No one sustains him. No one gives him power or energy. He doesn't need anyone. He does not need anything. He is self-existent, self-sustaining, needing no one. And isn't God so much different from us? 
we had done an exercise earlier today where each of you told me about all the different things that you would pack with you if you had to take a seven-day trip to a deserted island. And some of you shared with me that you needed food, water, clothing, a tent for shelter. You would bring books. You would bring things to entertain yourself. You would also bring even weapons, flashlights, things to protect yourself. We need a lot of things in this world, don't we? Not even if we were taking a seven-day trip, but even if we were living in our own homes, we get lonely, and so we want friends, we want family, we want people to take care of us, we need people like the police to protect us, doctors to take care of us when we are sick. We need so many different things. And most importantly, because we're all human beings, we need God. But what does God need? Well, God does not need anything. In Acts chapter 17, verse 24 and 25, we had read that he is the God who made the world, and he also made everything in it. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. He doesn't live in temples built by hands. He is not served by human hands. He doesn't need anything. He himself gives life and breath to all people, and he also gives them everything else they have. And so in these two verses, the Apostle Paul is telling the Greeks that this God that you you may not know yet, this is the God who made everything, and he is in charge of heaven and earth, and he doesn't live in buildings and temples that are made by human hands, and there's nothing that humans can do to serve or add to him. God does not need anything. Do you get that, kids? He doesn't need anything. He doesn't even need you and me. He doesn't get lonely. He doesn't get sad and need us to give him attention to cheer him up. God doesn't need his creation at all. And furthermore, there's nothing, not only does he not need anything, but there's nothing that can be added to him. Like we need a lot of things and we also want to add things to ourselves. So for example, you're probably listening to this recording because you want to learn. You want to learn new things. You want to gain and acquire knowledge. We want to have friends. We want to make new friends. We might be looking for a job because we want to earn money. We might exercise because we want to get stronger. We might want to practice certain things to get better like learning to play the piano, to develop skills. But God is unlike us. He he doesn't need anything and nothing can be added to him. He doesn't need to study. He doesn't need to go to school. He doesn't need to learn. He doesn't need to practice anything. There's nothing that could be added to God. And unlike God, we need everything. We need all the good and perfect gifts and most importantly, we need God. In James chapter 1, verse 17, James writes, Every good and perfect gift is from God. It comes down from the Father. He created the heavenly lights, and he does not change like shadows that move. So in other words, what James is saying is that everything that we have, everything that's good, I mean, just think with me, uh, the family that we love, all the good foods, all the blessings that we have, all of our happiness and joy, this all comes from God. 
And God doesn't change. There's nothing that we can do to add to God. He doesn't learn. He doesn't change like the shadows. So God contains everything. He possesses everything that's good. And all that good uh, is slowly given to us in the good and perfect gifts that we receive here on earth. And so because of all this, God is special. God is unique. There is none like our God. He doesn't get lonely. There's nothing we can do to add to his greatness or goodness. He doesn't get more power or need power from us or from any other creation. And all of these attributes are summarized as God's aseity. God's aseity. So, in summary, the first thing we learn is the aseity of God. He doesn't need anything. He is self-existent and self-sustaining. But you know the amazing thing, boys and girls? He didn't stop there, did he? He didn't stay up in heaven far away from us, especially since we've done so many bad things, starting from Adam and Eve, and now all of us. We have sinned each and every day. We've done bad things. In a way, we are unclean, dirty, and unpleasant to be around or to be near. Do you remember sometimes if you're around someone who smells or is kind of dirty, like if your brother or sister got muddy and dirty and all sweaty, you don't want to be around them, right? Because if you get too close to them, well, first of all, they smell, but they might get you dirty too, and you want to stay away from them. Or think with me, if if you were to invite me over to your house and I was I was the worst guest. I, I I broke some of your furniture, some of your toys. I treaded dirt all over your house. I made a huge mess. I was rude to you and ungrateful. Would you want to be near me? Would you want to invite me back to your house again? Well, guess what? Because we're sinners, we should be looked at as unclean and dirty. And yet God, the perfect God, the God who, is, who has a seity, he decides to come near to us, to come close to us. And by that, we can say that God is eminent. He is imminent. And another way of saying it is this is the eminence of God. In Isaiah chapter 57, verse 15, it reads, the one who is highly honored lives forever. His name is holy. And he says, I live in a high and holy place. But I also live with anyone who turns away from his sins. I live with anyone who is not proud. I give new life to him. I give it to anyone who turns away from his sins. And what Isaiah is saying is that there's only one God and he is highly honored seated on his throne and he lives forever and he's holy. He's separate away from all of us. But even though he lives in a high and holy place, he also desires to live with us, even if we're sinful. So we can turn away from our sins and be forgiven. And he wishes anyone who desires to turn away from their sins to be near to him. God is eminent. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, the Apostle Paul writes, But here is how God has shown his love for us. While we were yet sinners, 
Christ died for us. Again, this is so different from you and me. Think about your mother and father. If you have a mother and father and they're married, they probably love each other and they probably have needs or desires that the other person can fulfill. So for example, if your father is not too good at cooking and your mother cooks very well, well then your father might appreciate the cooking and the food that your mother is able to provide for him and for your entire family. Likewise, if your mother has a little more difficulty fixing certain things around the house and your father is very good at fixing things around the house, then your father might be able to serve your mother and your entire family by being able to fix things that sometimes get broken or need repair in your home. But it's different between God and us. You see, back to his aseity, he doesn't need anything from us. We need everything from him, including some sort of solution to our sin. 1 John verse, chapter 4, verse 10, it reads, What is love? It is not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to give his life to pay for our sins. And so God decided to come near to us because he loved us even though we've been sinful and we do things that displease God. We are unclean. We are dirty. God came to us in spite of our sin, and he came to us by sending his son, Christ Jesus, who is perfect and sinless. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, the apostle Paul wrote, Christ didn't have any sin, but God made him to become sin for us so that we can be made right with God because of what Christ has done for us. So, when you sin, you deserve death. You deserve punishment. All of us deserve punishment from God. But God says in his word, he speaks to us. And in Romans 6.23, it reads that when you sin, the payment or the punishment you get should be death. But God gives you the gift of eternal life because of what Christ Jesus, our Lord, has done. So, boys and girls, God, who is holy, self-existent, self-sustaining, he came near to us because he loved us. And he loved us so much that he would send his son to die for us. Let me tell you one more story. And this story comes from the book of Judges, Judges chapter 11. And it's a story of a man named Jephthah. If you haven't heard of the story, you could read it later in the book of Judges, Judges 11, and you can read it on your own or ask someone to help you. But the story goes that there was a man named Jephthah, and he was a leader of the Israelites at the time, and one of their enemies was the Ammonites. And he really wanted to have victory in battle over the Ammonites. And so he said a vow or he made a vow with God and he made a promise and he asked God and said, God, if you will help me and give me victory over the Ammonites, the first person that walks out of the front door 
when I come back, I will offer as a burnt offering to you. And so he goes off into battle and sure enough, God gives him victory over the Ammonites. And so in victory, Jephthah comes home. And when he comes home, instead of being greeted by a family sheep or an animal, out the front door comes his one and only daughter. And when Jephthah sees his daughter coming out the front door to meet him, he becomes regretful and sad because he remembered the promise he had made to God that whoever or whatever comes out of that door first, he will give as a burnt offering to God. And so he knew that he had to fulfill this vow. And so he told this vow to his daughter. And you can imagine his daughter probably was not pleased with this arrangement. And the daughter was also very sad and said, well, let me go away and grieve over the the life that I'm about to lose. And then when I come back, uh, you can fulfill your vow. Now, when you hear the story, you might think, this is really unfair and this isn't right. How can a father make a promise to offer the life of his daughter? And this is a daughter who didn't have any fault uh, to warrant this type of sacrifice and commitment. Why should this happen? But you know, this story should also help us understand even more importantly, the injustice that God put himself and his son through. Because the Bible says that our God has one and only one son. That's Christ Jesus. And he made a promise to himself that before the foundation of the world, before he created everything, that he was going to arrange his son to live a perfect life, to come near to us, and to die the death that we deserve so that we could be forgiven of our sins if we place our trust in him and we can have the penalty of our sin transferred to our Lord Jesus Christ when he died on the cross in our replacement, in our substitution. So boys and girls, we have a great God. We learned about the aseity of God. God doesn't need anything. He's self-existent. He's self-sustaining. He is so much different from us. We need everything, including him. And even so, more spectacular, God isn't just a God that's perfect and far away. Even though we've done bad things, even though we're unclean, he would come near to us, close to us, live among us. He is a God that is eminent. And not only that, but he did what was unthinkable. He would give up his one and only son to take the penalty of the bad things that you and I have done. And if we place our trust in him, we can be made right and we can live forever with him, with this great God. Can you imagine that? Why don't you pray with me right now? 
Dear God, we thank you so much that you are such a wonderful, awesome God. And we can't know everything about you. We can't even know much about you, although we know a little when we see what you've created and a little bit through our conscience. But thank you for speaking to us through your word. And thank you for showing us in your word that you are a God that's special, unique, that you don't need us, but we need you. And thank you so much that even though we've done lots of bad things, we don't deserve you, but that you would come close to us, so much so that you would send Jesus to live among us and to die unjustly, just as Jephthah's daughter would lose her life unjustly, that you would give up your son to sacrifice and give of himself so that we might be forgiven. Thank you for showing us such great love and help us to understand these precious truths. In Jesus' name, amen.